0: How does your doctor get to be your doctor? Today we're talking medical education on Access Healthcare Radio.
1: Welcome to the Access Health Radio Show. I'm Dr. Brian Forrest, and this week we will be answering a lot of questions that people have had about what type of school and training medical professionals get. And we'd like to acknowledge the companies that support the program. Thanks to Marley Drug in Winston-Salem for supporting our show. They mail order generic medications directly to your home with free shipping at costs that are often much lower than even the big box or retail pharmacies. Check them out at MarleyDrug.com. And Dr.
0: Forrest, you know, a lot of people have questions about the topics on the program. If they want more information after the show, or maybe they'd like information about your medical practice, uh, where can they go to find that?
1: Well, after the show, they can listen to an on-demand podcast at WPTF.com, and we will also provide links to that on our landing page at AccessHealthRadio.com. If they'd like information about our medical practice in Apex, North Carolina, they can go to ACCHealth.com or call 919-363-0190. Again, that's 919-363-0190. And if listeners want to send general, non-emergent questions and possibly have their question answered on the show, then go to our website at accesshealthradio.com or send an email directly to accesshealthradio at gmail.com with their contact information. Now, Dr. Forrest, I know a lot of folks are
0: curious about how medical professionals are trained how they get certified, and so I'm glad you decided to shed some light on this today.
1: Well, you know, I frequently get asked questions about how medical school works, how, how many years of training are required, and what is involved in getting to be licensed as a healthcare professional. And I thought I'd try today to sort of explain a little bit about the details of that and, and sort of the journey of uh, going through medical education. And I also have some guests on the show today that are going to discuss their journey so far in medical education as well. So,
0: Dr. Forrest, I've heard plenty of stories of how difficult it is to get into medical school and that a lot of people have to apply multiple years to actually get in. How competitive is it to get into med school, and what are medical schools looking for in a
1: candidate? You know, it is incredibly challenging to get admitted to medical school. Uh, U.S. News and World Report just recently had rankings of some of the toughest medical schools to get into in the country. And Wake Forest University was in the top four with over 8,000 applications for around just 100 spots. That means roughly 98 to 99 percent of all the people that apply don't get in. And many of the U.S. medical schools will typically have several thousand applications for a class size of around between 80 and 150 students. And, you know, U.S. medical schools typically are not looking for any one thing. Rather, rather, they're looking for applicants that have both excellent grades, outstanding scores on their MCAT, which is the medical college admission test, leadership experience. They really like it if, if students have had some research experience. They really want extensive extracurricular activities and volunteer work and really quality personal character. So most of the medical students that are accepted um, have every one of those areas covered and more so than 95% of the other applicants. One example that I will never forget is that I was told that uh, half of our medical school class had already spent two years working in the Peace Corps and averaged several thousand hours of volunteer experience, both in community service and in medical settings. So, you know, most applicants apply to lots of schools in hopes they will get accepted into one. And I was incredibly blessed to be accepted with my first application. And I only applied to one medical school, but. For many people, this is a multiple-year process.
0: And I believe that one medical school was Wake Forest, the one you just mentioned, wasn't well, it? Well,
1: I actually went to medical school at UNC Chapel Hill, but I did do my internship and residency at Wake Forest. That's okay. okay. How many years of school and training
0: are required to become a physician?
1: Typically, medical schools are four-year programs that are started after completion of a four-year undergraduate college degree. And after medical school, in most cases, doctors will apply to and be accepted at an internship or residency programs, and those are usually three to five years after medical school. And if somebody, say, wants to be a neurosurgeon, they might be looking at seven years additional training after medical school. So let me count that up for you. By the time a physician is licensed to practice, they typically have been in college or graduate level training for 11 to 15 years total. And despite TV shows like Doogie Howser, uh, typically you're practicing board-certified physician has to be at least 29 to 30 years old at a minimum when they start practicing. Uh, There was one person in my medical school class that didn't start until he was in his 40s and was not even going to start practicing medicine until he was over 50. Wow, so that's
0: a lot of schooling, a lot of time and effort that's put in. Now, what about other medical providers, uh, physician assistants and nurse practitioners? What does their training look like?
1: Well, the training for those is quite different. Usually nurse practitioners get their nursing degree first, which can be a four years bachelor degree or a master's degree. Then they can start their nurse practitioner training at either a two-year program or a three to four-year program that can result in either a master's level or a DNP degree. Uh, and right now most practicing nurse practitioners completed a two-year program, although the number of doctors of nurse practitioner programs is growing. After school for nurse practitioners there typically is not formal residency training uh, after that degree. And physician assistants typically have a two-year training program after their undergraduate college degree, but they have not usually had training as nurses uh, or anything like that or been in medical school. Usually they've had extensive uh, medical experience like working as uh, EMTs or you know medics for the military, all sorts of other medical backgrounds that PAs come from. And that experience for them is key to supplement the training they get in PA school. Here again, there's typically no residency training after a PA has graduated. So the other thing that really might surprise people is that physicians typically have to continue their education and recertify on a regular basis to make sure they're staying up to date. And this averages about an additional 50 hours per year after all of that training. So Dr.
0: Forrest, with that as a backdrop, I'm going to turn it over to you now and let you introduce
1: our guest for today's show. Thanks, Mike. We are honored today to have Adele Clifford and Lee Hong with us. Adele is in a program locally called MedServe and getting ready to attend medical school in the fall. And Lee is a third year medical student at UNC Chapel Hill. Welcome both of you to the program.
2: Thank you. Thanks, Dr. Forrest.
1: And it's time now for our Access Health Tip of the Week, Doc. It is not unreasonable for you as a patient to know what level of training or what school that your medical provider attended. Don't be afraid to ask. It is definitely okay to ask your doctor if they attended a U.S. medical school, if they have completed a residency program, or even if they've been board certified. Most medical professionals are gladly going to share that information with you, and if they are hesitant about sharing that with you, then I might be hesitant to be their patient. I have a second tip of the week, and I'm going to turn that over to our medical student who's in in with us because she's actually a concert violinist for something called the Durham Medical Orchestra.
2: Thanks, Dr. Forrest. The Durham Medical Orchestra will be having their spring concert on Thursday, May 3rd at 7.30 p.m. in Baldwin Auditorium on Duke's East Campus. If you want to find more information about our concert, you can check out our website at dmomusic.org. Admission is free, though donations are gratefully accepted. Please arrive early to find parking on or near Duke's East Campus.
0: All right, thanks, Dr. Forrest, and to our guests, Lee and Adele. After the break, we're going to discuss pre-med. What do people do right before medical school? This is Access Health Radio. Welcome back to Access Health Radio. I'm Mike Davis with board-certified family physician, Dr. Brian Forrest. Today we're talking medical
1: education, and we have a couple of guests that know a little bit something about that. So first of all, I'm going to ask Adele, uh, who's with us today, who's a pre-med student. It's great to have her on the show today. Could you tell the listeners a little bit about the MedServe program that you've been participating with?
3: Certainly. The MedServe program is a two-year service learning fellowship in rural and underserved North Carolina primary care. What that means is it places highly qualified post-undergraduate students who are pre-med looking to go into medical school or PA school or nurse Practitioning School into primary care clinics throughout the state.
1: So tell us about a little bit about your journey, Adele, into the application process for medical school. How many schools did you apply to and did you get accepted?
3: Yes. Well, the application process started many years ago when I was in the undergr- in my undergraduate institution taking prerequisite classes for medical school. So that's several biology classes, several chemistry classes, several physics classes, just to be able to be a competitive candidate to go to medical school. During the actual medical school application process, I completed 24 applications to U.S. medical schools, Um, and then went to 12 different interviews and was accepted at numerous US medical schools.
1: Now, what about trying to make that decision about which one you're gonna go to? What's helping you make that decision?
3: There are many aspects to making the decision of where to go to a medical school, including location, funding of that medical school the focus of the medical school for example many of my Medserve colleagues are extremely interested in primary care so they would be looking at a medical school such as UNC Chapel Hill or East Carolina that has great very strong primary care programs versus other students might have a more research focus um, to their uh, perspective career and might be interested in a school such as Duke
1: and you mentioned a little bit about the cost and I think you had told me uh, before the program that you actually did get a scholarship to a couple of medical schools, which congratulations on that. Thank you. And I think one of the things that we really haven't mentioned yet on the show is the cost of a medical education. It's normally going to be something that's six figures and is going to rival the cost of many home mortgages. So if students do not get scholarships, they often face debts that they may not be able to repay for decades. It is really terrific that because of Adele's Qualifications and academics, she's been able to get some of those scholarships, but that is the exception rather than the rule.
0: Thank you very much to our guests and Dr. Forrest. After the break, we're going to continue this conversation about what medical school is really like, and our Access Health Radio Trivia of the Week is on the way. Welcome back. This is Access Health Radio. I'm Mike Davis with Board Certified Family Physician. And CEO of Access Healthcare and Apex, Dr. Brian Forrest. We're talking medical education today. And Dr. Forrest, it's time for our Trivia of
1: the Week. Well, the trivia this week is uh, not necessarily good trivia for medical students. The average medical school debt now is almost $200,000 in the United States. And in cases where students attend private schools and don't get scholarships, it can be as much as half a million dollars. So next time you see a neurosurgeon driving around in a 15-year-old Toyota Corolla, you'll know why. So a question that I have for both of our guests today is, what are you most excited about with your upcoming medical training, and what are you the most concerned about? So I'll, I'll start with Adele. Why don't you tell me about, uh, about that and also about what being pre-med is like?
3: After so many years of being a pre-medical student where there is a lot of pressure to continue on this very long process towards becoming a physician, I'm very excited to actually start medical school after having tried to get into medical school and been planning for that for the past five years and to really start making a difference in patients' lives.
1: And what what are you the most concerned about in terms of medical education and training?
3: Having been out of medical school for the past two years, um, it will be an adjustment to go back to full-time academics. I haven't taken a a real class in the past two years, so really diving into um, a full-time curriculum will be a shock for me, I think.
1: Okay. And uh, Lee, why don't you uh, tell us what it's really like in medical school versus what people might see on TV shows like Grey's Anatomy, where it's all drama and all fun all the time. Uh, Give our audience a little bit of insight into what it's really like to be a medical student.
2: Thanks, Dr. Forrest. So most medical programs are four years long, with the first two years being primarily focused on what's called pre-medical or sorry, pre-clinical training. Preclinical training just means that you're taking a bunch of classes, you're going to your anatomy class, your physiology class, and all of that sort of stuff, and really learning the basics of medicine. The final two years are called the clinical years, which is the phase that I'm in right now, in which we learn uh, with real patients. We get to talk to them, come up with an assessment for their illness, and come up with a plan, all under supervision, of course. And you're absolutely right, Dr. Forrest, unlike, Uh, Grey's Anatomy, there's really not much drama that happens every single day, a very single minute. It's really a lot of studying and a lot of um, talking with physicians, talking with nurses, and most importantly, talking with the patient.
1: And, And Lee, what are you most excited about uh, in terms of the your medical training about when you finally get out, when you can finally you know have that diploma that says you're a physician, what are you most excited about that you're going to be able to do once you're finished with your medical training?
2: Well, I'm primarily interested in both treating patients and doing research to advance the medical field. And so for me, I'm most excited about getting to integrate both parts of my research training and my clinical training to actually help patients and make a difference in their lives. But of course, with that big opportunity comes a big responsibility. So um, for me, I'm very concerned about making sure that I deliver the best care for patients and done in a compassionate way, given all of our realistic constraints of little sleep and not enough time.
1: Thanks. And uh, Adele, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, you talked a little bit about the MedServe program. Can you talk to us a little bit about sort of some of the things that you've done and some of the, the experiences that you've had uh, in doing that MedServe fellowship?
3: Certainly. MedServe fellows can fill a number of roles in the clinics that they work at. For example, I work as a medical assistant. I check in patients. I draw blood. I send messages to the doctors. And I also work as a quality improvement analyst. Analyst. So I look at the numbers uh, in the practice that I work at, Access Healthcare, to see how we're doing, how well are we controlling patients' conditions, and where can we do better. Um, Other roles that fellows do in their clinics are um, medical interpreters, medical scribes, um, community health workers and health coaches, and um, population health specialists.
1: And, you know, I mentioned with uh, folks that apply to medical school, it's not just people with good grades or who are good test takers. They're really well-rounded individuals. So I'd like for each of you – to, to tell the audience a little bit about, you know, sort of one of the more human aspects about you that's not just academics. And so I'm going to start with Lee, because I think it's really interesting, uh, you know, the role she plays in this Durham Medical Orchestra. And there's actually a lot of medical professionals that are that have an interest in music. I, in fact, myself was a music minor when I was in college. So talk a little bit about uh, what you do with the Durham Medical Orchestra.
2: Certainly. So, I started playing violin when I was very little, about four years old, and I've always really loved music. And um, increasingly, what I've come to realize um, as I've become an adult is that music has a lot of healing power as well. Um, Many people love to listen to their favorite music in the car, but even in places like in the hospital, when they're lying on the bed for a couple days, with um, you know, no family around. And so for me, being a part of the Durham Medical Orchestra gives me an opportunity to not only play with a bunch of other professionals who are also interested in music and medicine, but also to share with our audiences about how music can itself be a healing process.
1: Thanks. And uh, Adele, I think one of the more interesting things about, uh, you know, how you plan to finance uh, the medical education part has to do with your interest in the military. So could you speak a little bit about the the sort of uh, work in the military programs and how the military helps with medical uh, education funding?
3: Certainly. The military runs several scholarship programs called the Health Professions Scholarship Programs, and those can be through the Army, through the Navy, or through the Air Force. And those scholarships pay for your entire medical education fees and give you a living stipend. Following that, you're able to then serve your country as a military physician, working directly with our servicemen and women, both in the United States and abroad.
1: So, again, I'd really like to thank Adele Clifford, who is on her way to medical school next fall, for joining us today as a pre-med guest on the show. And also to Lee Hong, who is, again, a medical student at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, uh, for stopping by and uh, sharing some of their experiences with us today uh, on the Access Health Radio Show. Thanks, guys.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thanks for joining us this week. We'd like to acknowledge companies that support our program.
1: We'd like to give a big thanks to Marley Drug and Winston-Salem for supporting our show. They're a company that mail orders generic medications directly to your home with free shipping at costs that are often much lower than even the big box pharmacies or the retail corner pharmacies. Check them out at Marley Drug, M-A-R-L-E-Y-D-R-U-G.com. And that concludes our show for this week. Our scripture this week is appropriate to education and comes from Proverbs eighteen fifteen in the New International Version. The heart of the discerning acquires knowledge for the ears of the wise seek it out. Thanks again for listening to the Access Health Show and we look forward to joining you again next Sunday at 4 p.m. Until then, God bless your health.